Okay, um, as some of you know, Kate's away at the moment, so we're welcoming Colin Bell to come and speak to us this morning. Uh, I'll just uh, go through a couple of notices first. Um, uh, some of you may have picked... So, who here likes watching superhero movies? Some people do at least, that's good. So, when you're watching these, when you're watching these films, who do you worry about? So there's always lots and lots of dangerous situations. The villain's trying to destroy the hero or destroy the city that the hero's trying to save. And you, you, but you sort of know the hero's going to come out okay at the end. But it's exciting working out just how they solve all the problems they're faced. Now, the people I'm worried about are the sidekick or the friends. So they're the ones going into danger too, but they haven't got the powers or the training or the equipment. So you think of Batman and Robin, and Batman's going in there with all that blue, black, really shiny armor, um, all his gadgets, and Robin's going in there wearing a pair of tights and a blindfold and not much else. <laughs> you really feel quite worried, worried about it. Well, he just came out okay most of the time, I think. So being a Christian, I think, can feel a bit like being like Robin. So we are called to go out and be like Christ. So we've just sung, Christ has conquered and we shall reign with him. And we, were, we are called to go out and do what Jesus did. Um, which, um, to preach the word, to look after people. But to be honest, we don't often feel like Jesus did. Like Jesus. Um, we aren't Jesus. We know we aren't Jesus. We haven't quite got what Jesus has got. And it's perhaps worse at a time like this. We've just had the excitement of Easter. We've just seen or talked about Christ, being, Christ rising from the dead. All those amazing things. And then we come here the following Sunday and think, well, have we still got it? Um, but there's some good news. What raised Jesus from the dead? Not quite a trick question. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. God, God sent the Holy Spirit down in his power to raise Jesus from death to life. Um, and if we've given ourselves to Jesus, we still have this power in us. It's the same Holy Spirit the same power. And we also have the same equipment. Um, Paul gives us in, in Ephesians, in the passage we're looking at in the main church later on, a picture of spiritual armour. And we're given a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, um, sandals on our feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and other things. We are given spiritual armour and that spiritual armour is the same weapons and armour that God's got. Um, so we have the same weapons, we have the same resources Jesus does, but we just need to learn to use them. And also to use them together. We aren't alone in this world. Um, you often see a picture of this, soldier, this Roman soldier or, or this army, you think, well, that's one soldier against a massive army. Um, what the pictures don't show you often is that there's an entire wall of these soldiers, thousands of them, all trained, all working together. Um, and that's what the Christian life is like. Um, whatever battles we face, we aren't alone. We have, the, we, have, we have the church with us, our local church, and the whole Christian church with us. So that's what we'll be looking at a bit more in, the, in our adult church later on. Um, but in the, in the children's activities, um, maybe what we can think of as we're doing is training. So we're finding out what have we got, how do we use it, and how do we, how do we use these things in our Christian life and how do we end up living the better life that God wants us to live and that you want to live as well? 
So we're going to have a, we're, we're looking a bit more at the sort of battle-like things today. It's that kind of service with this kind of theme. So we're going to, our next song is another battle-like song. Um, now I think this is an excellent song with the exception of two words. Um, because it refers to men of faith and women of the truth, which I think isn't really true. I think it's, there's women of faith and children of faith and men and children of the truth as well. So please do sing it with those. But the rest of the song is too good not to sing. Um, <laughs> Um, the song refers to all Christians and maybe sing it and be encouraged with what the power of the Spirit means in us. So, um, and also during this song, we're going to take up the offering just to make life complicated. I can't see anybody who's ready to do it, but I assume there's somebody doing it. Great. So let's stand and sing Men of Faith. So I'm going to read from um, Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 to the end of the book. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me so that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Jesus Christ with an undying love. So our passage starts with, finally. So how often do you hear this as a wake-up call? Perhaps literally in an overly long sermon, and you think, okay, that's good, the preacher's only got another five minutes to go. Um, So there was a finally in ancient ancient speeches as well. Um, It was called the um, peratio. It was a conclusion when you brought all your points together. You clearly spelt them out, and you sent people out inspired and ready for action. And that was how you were meant to deliver a speech in ancient times. And in modern speeches, you're told much the same thing. You're told people will remember the first thing you say, they'll remember the last thing you say, but they're they're most likely to forget what you say in the middle. Um, And there's even a scientific term for this, the serial position effect. Um, So don't worry, I've put the key information at the front of the sermon, and I'll say it at the back as well, 
But as always, I hope the entire sermon will inspire you and will send you out as, as people in the church more filled with the Spirit and more inspired for action. But what does this finally mean for this passage we're looking at today? Um, so I think it's important to remember, looking at this passage, two things. Firstly, um, this section from 6.10 onwards is basically a summary of what's already happened in Ephesians. Um, and secondly, the rhetoric has turned up a couple of notches. Um, so Paul isn't quite as subtle as he might be elsewhere. And I think there are some dangers reading this passage that you can fall into easily. Um, there are some people who, when you start mentioning spiritual warfare, some Christians, their eyes light up and they start looking slightly manic and they get really, really excited and they really go to town on these things like sort of principalities and powers. Um, and they are important, but I think some people get slightly obsessed by them. Um, the second danger of this passage is that you've got the, all these six bits of armour and weapon um, and it's very easy to have a sermon where you list all of them um, and you still describe what each one is and then you lose sight of the big picture. Um, now, it's, it's, it's definitely worth, and I've seen this happen, have a sermon series where you have one week for each of the six to do them justice. Um, now, I'm hoping that we've seen this kind of thing before, so I'm not going to focus too much on the details of the armour, but I want to look more at the big picture. Um, and the third problem with this passage is that we can often see it as our own individual battle against these powers of evil, rather than the battle of the whole church. Um, and there's fundamentally a problem with English grammar here. Um, so in, in English, we say our, and it doesn't, we, we don't know whether it means us individually or us as a church. Um, and we say you, and we say, we don't know if it's you singular or you plural. Um, and you have lots of commands, like you have, um, so sort of stand firm then. Now in, in Greek, that's stand firm plural. Um, in English, you can't tell whether he's addressing one person or a group collectively. Um, so in our, in our society, we tend to think individualistically. But here, um, and in fact, this, goes, this is true for most commands in the Bible, they're addressed to the entire church. So every time you see a command in the Bible, think, is it being addressed to me, or is it being addressed to the whole church? And probably it's the latter. Um, so, what's in Ephesians? Well, hopefully most of you are in a better position than me because you've been looking at it for a few weeks. Um, but fundamentally, um, Ephesians is in two halves. The first, the first three chapters are largely theology and talking, um, amongst other things, about God's power in raising God, uh, Christ from the dead and what that means for us and calling us to be followers of, of him. And then there's three chapters all about Christians' activity. So it's how we should act towards um, sort of parents and children, towards slaves, towards other people. You've been looking at that for the last few weeks as well. Um, so the final section brings together these two strands. Um, so yes, there's spiritual warfare, and we're in a real fight, um, but it's really about how we apply the power in, in us to our relationship with the world. And that's the, that's the entire world, not just the sort of spiritual realms, realms, but the physical world as well. Um, and there's another element in here which is, quite, which is worth, worth spotting. Um, uh, Paul says stand, looks at stand four times. Um, and there's other fours sitting here. Um, 
In the sort of Jewish mindset, four was the symbol of universality. So, for instance, you've got four rivers in the, river of e- in the Garden of Eden, and there's lots of other fours if you look for them. So what Paul is really saying with these four stands um, and four, four elements of evil is he's saying this is universal. This is in all of our lives. This, this is in everything. Um, so um, with apologies to those who like three-point sermons, this one's got four. Um, so it's got, um, it's, it's got four stands. Um, to, um, slightly mirroring what Paul said, but they look at it in a different way. Um, so the first one we've already looked at, the first one is stand together. Um, we've looked a bit about this, this armor. I mentioned in the children's talk about how you have one soldier with armor, but actually you've got lots and lots of them defending each other. So um, a good example is you've got those massive Roman shields, and the way they were held was that it wasn't, it wasn't the shield defending you, it was two-thirds of the shield defend you, and one-third of the shield defends the person next to you and overlaps behind. Um, so one shield on its own wouldn't do an awful lot. Um, but if you had all, all the shields together, you had something they called the tortoise. Um, for slightly obvious reasons. You had, they, they all, all crouched down, they all put the shields on, and there was a totally solid coating of, of, of metal shields which provided a very effective um, defence against, against arrows and things. So that's the kind of language Paul's thinking about. Um, and the second stand, um, again, we've, we've, I covered this partly earlier on, so I'm not going to major on it again, um, to stand in God's power. So I'm, I'm not going to say too much about this, but this is probably the most important thing, um, that in all of our standing, we're not standing in our own power, we're standing in God's power and with the weapons that he has given us. Um, but what I think is worth looking at is what are these principles and powers, or in, this, or in this translation, the rulers and the authorities. What are these things? And what's Paul calling, calling us to resist? So there are various ways you can read this. Um, one of them is you can read them as purely spiritual demonic angels or demons or whatever you want to call them. Um, alternatively, you can, you can go to the, the opposite end and what the liberal church would have said, they're sort of, say, totally demythologized. They're just saying they're just representations of human evil. There's nothing spiritual going on at all. Now, like in all of these, any question of this form, the truth is somewhere in the middle and encompasses both. Um, Now, Paul is actually very unspecific um, what these things are. Um, There are lots and lots of um, depictions of these kind of evil things in Paul's writings. And he he never really says what they are, but he he does talk about what they do. and what he's really saying, I think, is that these things represent absolutely everything in the world, spiritual human, that prevents us getting to God or prevents us living lives as a Christian. Um, some of them are things which have... Um, and again, many of them are things which, which were created for good but have become tainted by evil. Um, I'll come to some examples later. But if you, th- if you think that, that humanity was created for good, but we fell and we are now tainted by sin, the same applies for um, everything God has created. Um, so, for instance, I don't know, geology. So, geology is meant to create lots of mountains and lots of beautiful things, but it also created earthquakes and volcanoes that aren't meant to be there. So, um, every element of the world that God has created has been tainted by sin. 
Um, and what are these methods and... Um, sorry, I'm trying to write translation. Yeah, but taking, taking the stand against the devil's schemes, what are the devil's schemes? Again, I think that's everything that the devil wants to put in place to stop us getting to God. Um, and that can, can be remarkably subtle. Um, one commentary I said um, had the following words. It says, evil gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate, but actually being nothing of the sort. Um, obvious evil we can resist. It's the subtle stuff we can't. Um, and I was thinking what, um, what Peter wrote. Um, he says that the, dev- the devil is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And I was thinking that isn't a very good metaphor for our days. Uh, because if we're in the kind of places where lions are likely to be at all, we're already worried. It's not like we go out into the fields and there's lions wandering around. Um, so I was thinking more, it's like the devil is like a purring cat, waiting to pounce on the desk and not the, not the coffee onto the sermon notes. But it's, the devil is, devil is, it may not be so good either, but the devil is subtle, um, and we have to be aware of things, what's going on. Um, so let's pick, let's pick an example, a couple of examples to talk about this. So one problem we have in the world is the problem of poverty, in the widest sense. Now, what some Christians will do, and I'm only exaggerating a bit here, is they'll wander the streets declaring, by the power of God, I cast out the spirit of poverty. Um, and there are people who will sit, who will, who, who, there are people there who will pray a lot, but not actually do very much. Um, and I, I don't want to put those, that kind of spirituality down, but I'm not, I don't see God answering that prayer so much. Um, at the other extreme, possibly, there are Christians who set up food banks, um, and that does work in the sense that we're helping people in poverty, but perhaps they aren't asking the questions why people, are, people have got in poverty in the first place. Um, and you, you may want to know the, the well-known quote from a um, Central American bishop. He says, when I give the people food, they call me a saint. When I ask why the people have no food, they call me a communist. Um, it is quite difficult, but that's perhaps the kind of thing we're trying to do. So perhaps in this case, we need to see both sides of the thing. There, is definitely, there are definitely practical issues that lead to people in this country being poor. Um, and you can argue what they are, um, but there's de- definitely also a spiritual issue. There's an issue of greed, um, a lack of compassion, and a lack of community, amongst other things. There are things which a world that God had ordered should not be like. And there are questions that Christians should be asking about this. Um, so next, the, the, the next thing I'm to look at is just one, pick up just one of the, the spiritual bits of armour and think about what that says. And that's the belt of truth. And I think this is um, it's perhaps helpful to think about in this, in this context. Um, there's a, a French theologian called Jacques Ellul, um, and he provided a distinction between truth and reality. And like all of these things, it may, it may be a bit stark one way or the other, but I think it's helpful to think about. So for him, reality is the way the world appears. It's what you see and what's happening. But truth is what underlies that and what's really going on behind. And I think that's the distinction between what the devil, devil does and what the devil wants us to see. Um, I think there's a lot going on below the surface. Um, 
from the devil and actually and, and from God as well. There's a lot going on behind the scenes that if we think about it and look carefully and we look at these things prayerfully, we will see. But if, there, if, there things, things on the, if you just look on the surface, we won't see them. Um, so I would encourage you to actually delve deep into things and just think about why things are the way they are. And you may find that things aren't quite what they seem. So a second example, and this is a question of rhinos. Um, now, my wife isn't here, she's not feeling very well this morning, but she would tell you that I'm perhaps mildly obsessed with rhinos. I sort of collect them, I have a sort of dozen soft toy rhinos places. And I don't often have a chance to feature rhinos in sermon, but there's been a good example this week. Um, so there's been, a, there's been a debate in the news about the northern white rhino. Um, so I will assume you haven't heard about this, so I'll tell you the details. This is a, a, a small subspecies of rhinos, and until this week there were three left. Um, and unfortunately there are now two left, and the two left are both female. Um, and um, I don't need to say any biology to say this is a problem for a species. Now, scientists have, kept, have got DNA from, this, from, from, um, from these rhinos and some, some of the ones that, that are around not too long ago. Um, they reckon that they can resurrect the species using surrogate mothers from the, from the southern white rhino species, subspecies, which is a similar group also living in East Africa. Now, should they do this? Um, so, it's going to be quite a complicated complicated thing. We, we, um, we don't know as much as we'd like to about rhino breeding. Um, but at a first glance, this seems something to, like, to get really excited about. We can do this really cool thing, and we can save a rhino species. Um, but there were some naturalists who were saying, well, is this really such a good idea? And their argument is, um, it's a large sum of money. They're saying probably it's all seven to ten million pounds. Um, to bring back a species of animal whose natural habitat is largely gone, that's why they're extinct in the first place, and they may just end up in zoos. What we should be doing instead, if we've got that money to spend on rhinos, then let's go and save the Asian rhinos. And there's several groups of Asian rhinos who are, we are down to a few hundred, and they're in se severe trouble. And what they're also saying is that there's no point bringing back a species um, if the problems which led to it being extinct are still there. So I think they're still going to get poached, there's still not going to be habitat for them. So how do we look at this in a spiritual way? That's sort of practical, ethical question. Um, I think there's two spiritual things we can look at here. There is a, a human love of technology, I think, is at play here. So technology is one of these things that God has created for good, but isn't always good. Um, so we like to be creative, we like our gadgets, we, we can do things with them. Many things we can do with them are good. But I think there's a propensity we have, which is that, that if there's a technological fix to do something, we should do that, regardless of the consequences. Um, so we can look at all the debates about Facebook, for instance. Um, I'm not going to go into the details, but basically Facebook, modern technology, things have changed radically in 20 years. We've found some real problems with that, with, with, with that kind of thing. Um, on privacy, um, we found problems with people who are getting obsessed with social media, etc., etc. Um, we've gone, we've basically jumped into this new world of sort of always-on technology, social media, connectivity, without really thinking about what effect it has on us as people. And it does, it does feel sometimes. And I hold up my hands. I work in a technological company, so I'm probably as guilty as anybody of doing something because we can, because it's fun rather than because it's useful and because it's good. 
Um, so do we actually think about the, the, the consequences of technology? Um, so I would say that this is one of, the technology is one of these principalities and powers. It's something that God's created. It's something which, which done well is really useful, but something which can go astray um, and can lead us astray. And, and there's also other things going on which play here. Um, we can look at the sort of spiritual problem of greed and lack of love for creation, which lead to the problems with rhinos in the first place. So humans want to colonize everything. Humans want to hunt rhinos for their horns. Um, there's, a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of problems with our, our relationship with creation. So I think these, these are really the kind of questions that Paul is asking us to think about with these principalities and powers. What, um, not with these particular questions, because obviously they were around in his day. Um, I mean, he was talking about issues about how you relate to the Roman Empire, um, how you deal with um, other religions around you who do things you don't agree with. Those were questions of his day, which aren't necessarily so true for us. But there were questions for us to do with these rulers and, these rulers and powers. So I think we as a church, and, and that probably by that I mean the capital C church, the universal church, in the, oh, the church in the UK, the church in the world, need to think about these things and work out what we think about them and how we can influence them for good. But we can't do much about them unless we can see what's really going on. So that's where we get to our, that's where we get to our third stand, is that we want to stand on the truth. Find out what the truth is and then stand on it. So we have, we're standing together, we're standing in God's power, and we're standing on the truth. Um, but what do, we do, what do we do about it? And what Paul says do about it is to pray. And this is going to be our fourth stand, to stand in prayer. So I'm going to read verse 18. Uh, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And you may have noticed there's four alls, or well, not quite four alls, three alls and an always. So we've got four forms of prayer to, def to defeat the four forms of evil. So Paul is giving us one further universal way to stand against this, this universal opposition that we've been talking about. Now, why pray is Another question which deserves at least one more sermon. So I'm not going to, to go into that in any detail. Um, I think I want to focus more on, on how, how Paul is asking us to pray. So the first thing he's saying is pray at all times and for all things through the Spirit. And what Paul is saying, I think, is that nothing should be undertaken in our lives without that link to God through the Spirit, through prayer. And I think that's really important when we're dealing with sort of spiritual warfare things um, or dealing with the, these big forces in the world because we're opposing devious and tricky enemies of God and we need to know what we're dealing with and we need God's guidance and support for them. But secondly, he's asking us to pray for all of God's people and to do, do so with alertness. So it's really important that we should pray for ourselves and our own personal battles. We should pray for the Christians around us, so in our local church and the others we know nearby... Um, but we should also be praying seriously for the worldwide church as part of our fellowship with God and Christians worldwide. Um, but he calls us to do it with alertness. Um, and I think he wants us to find out what the specific needs of prayer are. And this gives us another responsibility. We need to find out 
what's going on in different bits of the world so we can pray for them. And that's a responsibility to pray for them, but it's also a blessing for us because they will be doing the same thing. They will be praying for us. Um, and having been abroad, I've, I've, um, I went to, to Nigeria for some a few years ago. They're actually, I think they are pretty serious about praying for, for us. I think Nigerians particularly look up to the British. They see that, that we are the people who brought faith to them by and large. And they do pray for us. Um, so there is, a t- that, that, there is that two-way link. Um, so what might this look at like in practice? Well, I don't, think, I don't think Paul is suggesting that every individual Christian should pray for every other individual Christian. That's not, just not practical. Um, you, couldn't even, you could probably do it in a church this size just about. But in a large church, you couldn't do it meaningfully. Um, but what I think is more important is that as a group, we commit to praying for the entire church. Um, and that we just find some part of the church that we care about or that we, we, we pick and, and find out about that. So, for instance, I still pray for Nigeria because I know it. Somebody here may, may have connections, say, with South Africa and pray for them. Others may pray for a particular mission in India. Um, I think it's a focusing of the prayer and knowing about it and, and that partnership that's important. Um, so, I, th- I mean, I, I expect that for many of us, this is something we already do. Um, I, I assume the church probably has a BMS missionary associated with us. I, haven't, I, haven't, I didn't ask to check, but I think most Baptist churches do. There's a particular missionary somewhere that you have a link for. But I, mean, I think, let, it, let me encourage you as we come to a close, that if you don't, that it is worth being alert what's going on out there in the world. Um, when there's a natural disaster or some war or something, then pray for that because there's almost certainly Christians there. But there are areas of the world that we never hear about on the news. There are Christians there living their lives. They're facing challenges. Some of them are the same challenges that we do. Some are very different. But let me encourage you to reach out, to think about what they're doing, to pray for them. So we have four, we have four stands against, against the spiritual warfare. We want to stand together. We want to stand in God's power. We want to stand in awareness of truth and reality. And we want to stand in prayer. Um, and the prayer, I think, encompasses all of them. Because the prayer is our link to God. It's our link to the Spirit. And it's, one, it's a particular way in which God directs us and brings us together. So in response to that, what we are going to do, unsurprisingly, is to pray. Um, and we're going to pray as God asks us to do. We're going to, I think we're going to pray for ourselves pray for the church um, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So I will leave space for you to pray whatever's on your heart and what the needs are. And then we'll pray for the worldwide church. Um, And I will pray for some some general things. But again, I'll leave some space for you to pray about things that are particularly on your heart. Um, But before we pray, we're going to sing sing again. Um, And we're going to sing the, the song, Restore, O Lord. And this is really another, this isn't really part of our prayer. It's a prayer for God to bless us and to help grow the church. With Paul at the end of Ephesians, may I give you the following blessing. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen.